We, I'm going to be in, if you'll turn in your Bible, if you've got it with you, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 in just a moment. And I want us to continue looking at the connection, as, as we will see, uh, between choosing generosity and experiencing contentment. I saw this story of a, a uh, farmer, or not actually a farmer, a wealthy father of a family, and he wanted to take his son out to uh, some of the rural area around them, and he was going to have his young son experience poor people. I mean, in essence, what the working poor on a farm, what they were like and what their life experiences was like. So he, he took his young son and they, they went and spent the night, spent a couple of days actually with this family on a farm. And the, at least from the father's perspective, this would have been a very poor family, a working poor farm and just doing their best to, to make it by. So they spent a couple of days with them and on the ride back home, the father asked his son, well, well, did you see anything about poor people, about how they live versus what you have been blessed with? And the, the son had an interesting response. I'm going to read what he said to his father, kind of astonished and, and uh, struck the father as something that he didn't expect. The, the son said this, he, he said to his dad about their experience, he said, oh, yeah, I saw that we have one dog and they have four. Uh, we have a pool that reaches to the middle of the garden and they have a creek that has no end. We have imported lanterns in the garden and they have the stars at night. Uh, our patio reaches the front yard and they have a whole horizon. And he said, we have a small piece of land to live on and they have fields that are beyond sight. We buy our food and they grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us, but they have friends to protect them. So the father was not expecting that response exactly. He was kind of stunned at his, what his son had to say. And his son added this little cherry on top. He said, thanks, dad, for showing me how poor we are. And in an instant, the, the wealthy father of this family understood what contentment was, that it wasn't about how much you had in your bank account or didn't have. It's about the heart. It's about what you value in life. In, in fact, I like this one other quote. It's an unknown author. I don't know who to attribute this to, but he, he talked about how contentment can actually cost you less in the long run and he says, the best way to make your old car run better is to learn the price of a new one. <laughs> I think there's some wisdom in that. I don't know about you. Well, you and I started just last week in making this connection between two people in the New Testament. Now, last week, we looked at a, a woman that I, I named Mary the Generous. And she was in the gospel as we looked in the gospel of Mark. And she was inspired by the love of Christ and her faith in Christ to live a generous life one moment at a time, but to live it as a way of life, not as an exception, but as a norm. That was the way she chose to live. 
Uh, and today I want you and I to look at a different man that some of you are, I know are familiar with, Timothy, and I'm calling him Timothy the Content because Paul had invested in Timothy's life, as you may well know, and had walked with this young man, this young pastor, for quite some time as others had. And he taught Timothy at least two things, live a generous life, number one, and number two, live a content life and show others how to experience contentment. And what I want you and I to do, as I mentioned last week, is not just to see the two people and dig into what we can learn from them. There is a lot to learn. But I want you and I to make the connection because it is a biblical connection. I'm not making this up. There's a connection between choosing to be generous as a way of life and experiencing contentment. In other words, you heard me say this last week. I've never met a selfish person that's content. Have you? I've never met somebody that's wrapped up in themselves 24-7 and all of their resources, whether it be their time or treasures, all about what they want. And I've never met such a person that is content. And I've concluded that they don't exist is the reason. But on the other hand, as I mentioned last week, I've met many believers, including in this body of believers, that are very generous as a way of life. And guess what? They are content. Why? Because there's a connection. Well, let's look and dig into contentment and what that is and why you and I would want to experience contentment according to God's word. You see, Paul is going beginning in verse 2 of, of 2b, the second part of chapter 6 in 1 Timothy. He's going to contrast what it means to be discontent and where that leads versus what it means to be content and what you experience when you choose that path. So he's going to give us two different paths that you and I can choose. And he's going to contrast what those two things look like. And he's talking to young Timothy once again, and he says in verse 2, the second part of verse 2, he starts with these words. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. You ever met somebody like that? Don't point fingers. He said they have an unhealthy interest in those things and that, that result, and look at the result, that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions of one another in essence, and the constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. In other words, it's all about themselves, not Christ. And then he says in verse 6, look at it. Here's the contrast. But godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. And then he says, and I love this. We've heard this in different formulas before. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Now, yeah, that, that's a pretty, pretty astute wisdom in that one alone. Now, look at verse 2 once again. 
And I want you to notice where he starts. He says, there are many things you are to teach and insist on. And what are the many things? What is he referring to? He's referring, and he tells you in this context here, that he's referring to what Jesus taught and what is recording, recorded in God's word. In other words, teach the truth. And not only teach it, but do what? Insist on it. Now, that word insist on it is, is a word that we sometimes see translated in the New Testament, encourage, encouragement. And it means to exhort. It means to challenge people. Listen, not, you've heard me say this a million times, and I'm not saying it, God is. I'm just repeating what God says. He, he's saying to us, don't just know the truth, do the truth. Don't just fill your brain, fill your heart. Don't just know more about what God's word says. Walk out of this place challenged to take your next step of faith. It's not what you know, but what you do with what you know that changes your life. And that's what, what Paul is telling Timothy. Keep on encouraging people, not just to learn the truth, but to actually follow where the truth leads. Because there were some in the body, false teachers, that were doing the opposite. Now look at what he says. He goes on to say, these things, the truth... Teach and insist on. Encourage people to apply it, in other words. Verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise, and there were some that were they, were, they were taking and adopting the truth to what they want it to be, not what the actual truth was. And so he's saying in verse 3, if you have those people, and you do, and, and, and here is the result. They do not, and they do not agree with sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching. Okay, so what is he talking about there? First of all, the word sound is where we get our word hygiene from and it means well-being it means health what is he saying sound teaching when you listen when you not only learn the truth of God's word but you follow where it leads he will fix what's broken in you he will make you whole and well that's the implication of the word sound and he says this is sound teaching and or instruction that is coming from where look at it our Lord Jesus Christ himself so encourage people to take the words of Christ, the truth of Christ, and again, follow where it leads. But he didn't stop there. Notice what other implication God's word has to your life and my life when we choose to follow it. And also, by the way, has implications when you choose not to follow it. And that's where he's going to get in just a minute. So sound instruction. And then he says, it is also godly teaching. Now, what does it mean, godly teaching? The word godly means to develop a genuine reverence for God. It means to have an awareness of God at work around you and in you and, and let him work through you. It refers to taking on the perspective of God of your life, looking at your life through eternal eyes, looking at your moment, your challenge, whatever comes along, look at it, purposely look at it through the eyes of Christ. How did Paul put it in Corinthians? He said, take on the what? Take on the what? The mind of Christ. What does that mean? Look at your life through his eyes. And so that's what truth will do for you. When you and I follow it, it will make us whole. It will heal the things that need to be healed in our life. And it will also give you, will it not, a different perspective on your life. When challenges come along, it's not about me. It's about what, what Christ can do. It is about learning to trust him and taking that next step of faith in Christ. And so Paul is saying 
that when you and I do not, and he's talking to believers, by the way, at least those who are claiming to be believers, when you do not follow sound instruction and godly teaching, look at verse 4. What's the result? Here is the result. I'm not making this up. It's right there. He said, they are what? You read it? They're conceited. And they think they understand everything, but they understand nothing. That's pretty much a conceited person, right? I have the answers. It's self-focused. Now, that word conceited, it's an interesting term in the New Testament because the, the core word of it means and refers to being enveloped by smoke. We might say it this way in our own language, a person is blowing what? Smoke. And when you blow smoke, what does that mean? I can really trust you and I can know that you're a really wise person. Quite the opposite, right? It's just smoke. It will come and go and it means absolutely nothing. And that's the idea of conceited. Now, specifically, the word conceited refers to a person that is developing an inflated sense of self-importance. You ever met somebody who has an inflated self, sense of self? You've been a person that's been inflated sense of self? Absolutely. At times in my life too, right? That's what it means. And when, listen, come on. When you and I are only busy about learning the truth from God's word but never applying it, guess what's going to happen? It's going to become about self, not Christ. It's going to be a self-inflated view of my, my importance to everybody else. In fact, the word conceited here refers to a person is not only has an inflated ego and view of self, but it refers to a person that is foolish and everybody sees it but them. So you can become to you can come to a point of foolishness. So Paul is saying that the result, one of the results of a life of discontent, making life all about self, guess big shocker conceit everything you do and have becomes about what you want not about what God wants not about what Christ wants but it doesn't stop there look at it close and I'm not going to elaborate fully I could spend all day on these next two verses and I won't you'll be glad to know but he says in verse 4 they are conceited and understand nothing now look at the second part of verse 4 they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels so what has he just done He's gone from what the person is like to what their relationships are like. He's gone from the dysfunction of a person to dysfunction in their relationships. Now, again, I don't have, Paul did such a wonderful job at, at defining what these and describing what a dysfunctional relationship looks like. I don't have to elaborate. Just read it. What did he say? They are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy, verse 4, unhealthy interest in controversy as in quarrels. They just want to fight and be right. They don't care about the truth, in other words. And then he goes on to say, not only that, but it results in what? Envy. It results in what? Strife. It results in what? Malicious talk. They, they tear each other up. It results in what? Evil suspicions. They don't trust one another anymore. It results in what? A constant friction between people of corrupt mind who are robbed of the truth. They're, listen, they're so full of themselves they can't even see the truth anymore. That's a bad place to be, by the way. So what is Paul's point? His point is simply this. When we choose self over Christ as a follower of Christ, 
a supposable follower of Christ, if we choose a life of discontent over a life of contentment, guess what? What you feed grows, right? And here's what he says happens. Discontent will lead to conceit every single time. When you make life about yourself and not being generous and not letting Christ use your life in the moment, big shocker, you're going to become about yourself. And I'm going to come become about myself. And number two, discontent leads to dysfunction. I couldn't think of a better way to describe dysfunction than that list that Paul gave, could you? People that are not loving each other but tearing each other apart to win the fight. Have you seen that before? You are too quiet. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Look at the better path. Look at the choice of contentment according to God's word, according to Paul. And he's encouraging Timothy to keep living this way and leading the way to help other people experience contentment in their lives. And he says, what, verse 6, but. Good but. Very good but, actually. But here's the contrast. Those that live discontent will make life about themselves and gaining what they think was going to fill them, and it won't, by the way. And then verse 6, he says, but godliness with what? Contentment. What comes first? Godliness. The word godliness is the same word as godly up in verse 3, just, just a different form. And it means those who develop a reverence for God, you're aware of God at work around you and in you, and you're allowing him to work through you. It's a, a reverence for Christ day to day in your life that you're living in and you're choosing. You're taking on his view, his eternal perspective about your life, regardless of what circumstance you find yourself in. You're choosing to see your life through his eyes. That's what the word godliness means. And he says, but godliness, when you develop that kind of Christ character and you follow him one day at a time, with what? Contentment. Now, the word contentment's a key word in this passage as well as this verse is the key verse in this passage. And, and what God's word, what the New Testament means by the word content is satisfaction. But it means more than just satisfaction. That's the experience. What that word talks about in the New Testament and refers to is developing a deepening confidence in Christ. In other words, you know full well, regardless of what you may face in a given moment, because you've been following where the truth leads, not just learning about it. You've been choosing to follow where Christ leads in your life and not just put religious stuff in your head and walk away from it. You and I are developing a deepening confidence in Christ that he is more than sufficient. How do I know that? Let me give you one reference. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, simply says this. Notice these words. Look at them close. And God is able. Stop there. God is able. He's either able or not. You've got to make your mind up, right? God is able to bless you. How? Abundantly. Jesus said, I came to give you life. How? Abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly. And here's the reason. So that in all things, not some things, so that in what? All times, not sometimes. Having all that you need. He is more than enough, is what he just said. 
you will be, you will abound in what? Every good work. So what's God's purpose in blessing you? In blessing me? So I can be generous. His purpose in blessing my life is not for me to hoard it in a closet. Hang on to it. His, his purpose is a, of blessing me and continuing to bless my life and your life, by the way, if you're a follower of Christ, is to be a blessing in somebody else's life. When he's blessing you with time and treasure, whatever it may be, guess what? He is setting you up to make a difference in somebody else's life you haven't even met yet. He's got a purpose for that and it is not to lock it away and hang on to everything we got, right? Are y'all with me? Is that making sense? You see, there's a direct connection between living a generous life and experiencing contentment in Christ and experiencing the fact that he is more than enough. He is abundantly more than enough and sufficient for our lives and we'll never know that without practicing this faith, without following where the truth leads. Now, he wraps up with the, the great wisdom of the day, verse 7. And he says what? He says, when you live this way, it'll lead to the truth. And here's the truth, verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. I don't even need to elaborate on that one either, do I? You can't take it with you. That's how we would put it today. Years ago, about 15 to 20 years ago, I had the, the privilege of going with a group over to China on a mission trip. And it was a very interesting experience. I could share all kinds of stuff with you. But there's one thing I wanted to, that I thought was in line with what Paul just said in verse 7. We didn't get much time in that 10 days in China. And this was a part where Mao grew up. So it wasn't in some of the more modern cities. It was huge, lots of population. But it was like the third world and modern life just colliding everywhere. It was amazing. And so we didn't get a lot to go, time to go tour things. But we had one day where we got to go tour a very small museum that they had discovered a 2,000-year-old tomb of a king, his queen, and a son because they were doing a construction project. They didn't have any idea that the tomb was there, and they dug it up by accident. So they exhibited in this, this rickety old small museum. Quite amazing that 2,000-year-old antiquities were put behind this little thin glass. And anyway, I could go on and on. But here's what struck me about that experience. We got to look through a glass at this huge tomb. It's basically a big old square box of the king who had the biggest one, the queen had the second biggest one, and then the son had the third biggest, the smallest of the three tombs. So in each tomb, you had the mummified body of the king, the queen, and the son. But here's what was interesting, not unlike the pharaohs of their time. You know what they had all around them? Compartments, and I'm talking big, huge compartments full of their stuff. And it was amazing what they had back then at 2,000 years ago. When Christ, when Christ hit the scene, so to speak, 2,000 years ago, it was amazing what I saw, all that stuff. But you know what I discovered? Because I'm an eyewitness. I was there. They didn't take it with them. <laughs> 2,000 years later, it's right there in those tombs. And if you were to go to visit, I'm going to guess, if you go visit the tombs of the pharaohs that they've discovered through archaeology and you see all that stuff, guess what? They didn't take it with them either. It is still there. And God's word says, you didn't bring anything into this world, you're not going to take anything out. But Christ, but Christ. You see, what God's word is telling us, if you choose contentment, here's the result. It leads to transformation. 
You're going to live, you're going to look at and you're going to live your life differently. When what? You choose to follow truth, not just know the truth. And, and, and he says something else that will lead to the truth. The reality that I didn't bring anything in it and I'm not taking anything out with me, so why do I need to hoard it? Is going to hit us. We're going to understand the truth and hopefully continue to live by it. So you and I got two ways to live, do we not? We can choose to live generously and experience contentment that only Christ can bring. Or you can choose to live for self and be discontent. And you know where all that leads to a lot of places we don't necessarily want to choose. So here's my challenge. Which one are you going to live? Are you going to live a generous life that leads to Christ-centered, true, genuine contentment? Are you going to live a self-focused life that leads to all kinds of places? But there is a result to either choice, right? And as far as I know, you can't choose both at the same time. You're going to have to make a choice. How? One day at a time. One moment at a time. In that moment, I can choose to be generous or about self, right? I can choose to be about Christ or about what I want. What choice are you going to make today? Forget tomorrow. As far as I know, I'm going to get hit by a bus and I may not be here tomorrow, right? What are you going to choose today? In your next moment, what are you going to choose? How are you going to choose to live? How am I going to choose to live? Let's pray. Father, I, I love your word for a lot of reasons, and, and sometimes I love it because it's just bluntly challenging and just cuts through the chase, and you get down to the truth and the reality. Not unlike the, the laws of gravity and many other laws we know are absolute truth. We can deny them all day long, but we know what the truth is. I pray, Father, I pray you'll continue to develop within us, beginning with my own life, a heart of generosity in how I respond and give away my treasure and my time as you lead me to. I pray that I will make my life about Christ and Christ alone, not about self. And I pray, Father, you will bless us when we make those choices in Christ. You will bless us, bless us with a true contentment that we know that you are more than sufficient, regardless of what challenges come along. Father, thank you that you just bear with us each new day and you patiently guide and lead us. Help us, Father, to respond to the truth and live it out, not just know it. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.